This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Um, this episode is going to be like Tales from the Road slash Clinic uh, and a, kind of a message to anyone out there with animals. This is not necessarily, this episode is not necessarily, actually, probably very minimally going to be focused on goat health and medicine, but more the veterinary field in general. And uh, what is happening with the profession right now and what the non-veterinary profession need, like if, if everybody else who's not in the field and who has animals, or even if you don't have animals, this is what you need to know right now. Uh, because the last year, uh, well, probably coming up on, let's see, March, April, May, June, you know, getting close to 16 months, a year and a half, um, since COVID started, the entire veterinary fields, the, the entire profession, I would say, certainly in the United States, certainly in North America, if not the entire world, the entire veterinary field is drowning. And you need to be aware of that if you are an animal owner. Uh, and you need to know what you can do to make your life easier and what you can do to make your vet's life easier and your vet receptionist's life easier and your vet tech's life easier because we are drowning. And there is no easy way to say it, and I'm not going to pull any punches in this episode. I have started to record an episode similar to this a couple of times, like when we were coming up on like my second COVID birthday and coming up on this spring when everybody's starting to get vaccinated and people are going out in the world again. And I'm very glad for a return to somewhat of normalcy, at least in my geographic location. Um, but our field is still drowning and it is not looking like it's getting any easier uh, anytime in the near future um, without major systemic changes. And I don't, I, I not to be a downer and not to be pessimistic, but I don't see that happening. Um, so this is, this is my message to go out there to anyone who's listening where like this is what's going on in the fields and why you should know and why you should care and what it means for you and your animals um i you know this this episode this podcast reaches a you know i don't know probably eight to ten thousand people a month if you haven't heard this already if you're not already aware of this problem in the veterinary industry right now then here you go share with your friends let people know because i am still like i live this every day and 
part of the issue is that it becomes exhausting when something is your reality and you're drowning and everyone else, like the vast majority of the population is unaware and doesn't have any clue what's going on and doesn't care or seemingly doesn't care. So... Uh, if this, if you're not interested in this, if this isn't your bag, if you don't care what's going on with vets right now, um, if you don't care that you take your dog to the ER and there's going to be a six to eight hour wait, um, if you don't think that your cat should go see the vet for an annual exam to maintain its VCPR, um, and you're just going to get annoyed at me for telling you that this episode is not for you. Um, but if you were not aware of any of those things I just said, and you uh, seems like that might be something that you care about. If you care about your pet or you care about animals that are under your care, uh, maybe give it a chance. Uh, but like I said, I'm probably going to be kind of, uh, blunt and some people might think it's rude. Um, but we're, the field is really coming to a breaking point where something has to change and I don't know what it's going to be, but people, and people being the general public are probably not going to be happy about it because there's not a lot of good options at this point. Um, yeah. So if you have questions or comments about this or you want to yell at me on the internet, I guess, you can uh, find me on the web at goatdoc.com. You can email me at goatdoccara at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. Um, this pot, I'm going to disclaim because I'll probably touch on medical stuff in this, but uh, this this episode is to provide some insight into what the vet veterinarian veterinary field experience is like at this time. Today is July 16th, 2021. Um, I'm going to be going back and giving you a little background here too, because um, I've been in the field now for. 13, 15 years, um, including the time that I spent in the field before I went to vet school. So, um, you know, I've had, I've had a little bit of a a view of what the industry is like for a little bit of time now. So I'm going to kind of tell you about that too, because I think some background, as you know, if you ever listen to me talk about anything before, um, having some background, I think is important. This podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your local primary care veterinarian. And I strongly, 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 strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinarian client patient relationship with your local vet. I am not a human physician. I am not qualified in any way to talk about any kind of human health topic, all species but one, um, anything that I may may come out of my mouth in terms of human health in this episode is my opinion only, does not represent anything other than that, um, and if you have questions about health, your health, your health, you should direct them to your primary health care provider, um, your primary care human physician, who I also strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current uh, doctor-patient relationship with. I don't know how long that was uh, before I get into the meat of this topic here, but um, here we go. Um, so, like I said, I'm going to, like, I tend to be a chronological person. I like to tell a story in chronological order, so I'm going to tell that story, and here we go. Um, I came into the
the veterinary field like officially in I think about 2008 or 2009 um, when I left teaching, when I left public education and uh, started working as a veterinary assistant in a small animal practice, small animal full service primary care day practice in southern Maine. Um, if you recall, if you were in the United States, or I don't know, I guess this probably rippled around the world, um, in about that time, uh, this was right around the time when the economy tanked in the United States and nobody had any money to do anything. I think we're calling it the Great Recession now um, in the economic his- history books. Oh, I'm also going to go back for a moment before I get too deep into this and disclaim that if I get into anything political in this uh discussion. Uh, I apologize. I definitely have my own political opinions about things, but I'm going to try to keep it as neutral as possible. Um, I tend to try to not be too political. Um, I think of myself as a scientific person, um, and science is neutral. Science does not care about what your political affiliation is, um, and like the way things behave, whether you know there there are facts and there are not facts. Uh, so there are facts and there's fiction, um, and the way things are or were is just the truth or the fiction of it. And uh, I will try to, as the best of my ability, to stick to the truth of everything and uh, my experience and not get into any kind of political discussion here. That is not my intent, um, and I will take my best care to avoid that because I don't think it really has anything to do with anything. So please don't take it that way. It is not my intent. So when I I started uh, working at that practice around 2008-2009, I left public education to go into the veterinary field um, and take my science prerequisites, science and math prerequisites, so I could apply for vet school. Um, I started vet school in the fall of 2012, so I was in the field as as an unlicensed assistant assistant technician uh, for that roughly two-and-a-half-year period. Uh, leading up to that time. So uh, in that time, like I said, the economy had just tanked. Nobody had any money to do anything. Um, it was extremely difficult for the field. Uh, that practice that I worked at was a two-and-a-half doctor practice. Um, they And it was dead. The practice was, there were times, especially during the winter, when there were multiple, multiple, multiple open appointment slots. I got sent home because the, everything was quiet and there wasn't anything to do and the practice couldn't afford to pay me to be there. Um, and it was just, it was scary and sad and depressing. Um, and as a small business owner um, who just went through something similar last year with COVID where all of our clientele shut down and we had all this product that we weren't moving, um, it's really scary to me in that kind of position where you have a business that needs to make money and you have people that depend on you and you have bills that need to be paid and you can't do that because the business is not functioning for a reason that's essentially outside your control. Um, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's that a bunch of people uh, decided they were going to make a bunch of money and selling subprime mortgages and then the economy was going to collapse. Um, you know, that's... It's, you know, nobody... <laughs> nobody wants those things to happen, and they do, and it's hard. And it's scary as a small business owner um, to 
to, to deal with that and get through that. Uh, so when I was going into vet school, the feeling in the field was, oh my God, look at all the, these vet schools. They're just having these huge classes. My class at Tufts was about between 96 and 100 people, I think, graduating. And that's probably the average vet school class size, about 100. The previous generation of veterinarians was all up in arms about that. Like, what are we going to do with these vets? There's no room in the workforce for these vets. Every the, the It's saturated. We don't have room. What are they all going to do? There's not enough work, blah, blah, blah. By the time I graduated in 2016... Um, I certainly didn't have a difficult time finding a job, to put it mildly. Um, there's a plenty of jobs and, uh, you know, wasn't at the point that it is now where, like, you can have, like, every almost, <laughs> I don't know what the percentage is, a lot of practices in the United States are looking for jobs for, for vets, for techs, um, for staff, for employees, and I'm going to get into the why and where of all of this in a couple of minutes, um, but I've in, I don't go on Facebook much these days, but occasionally I go on there right now mostly to look for a vintage camper trailer to buy at some point, hopefully this summer, um, and I saw somebody post in a mixed practice group that they were graduating and are moving and going to be looking for a job, and this is what they were looking for. And I think there were over 100 responses on that that individual's thread um, for people saying, please, please, please come work for us all over the entire country um, and probably even in Canada as well. So, like, the field right now is really quite desperate for people to come and and help because we're drowning. Um, in 2016, it wasn't really like that. Like, there's certainly, like, I was pretty geographically limited in where I was going to work because the farm was where the farm is, and that wasn't going to change. Um, so I had to ha find a job within a relatively, like, close area of that place. Um, and then, like... It wasn't, it wasn't that hard. There was enough jobs in, like, a 30-mile radius of Acton, Maine. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of crazy. Um, if you were in a place where you could, like, pick up and move anywhere in the country, you probably could get a pretty sweet gig in 2016 as a new grad veterinarian. Um, so got a job, worked, started my ambulatory practice, worked, um did a bunch of other stuff too, um, worked at some vaccine clinics, you know, like really kind of just plunged into the field after I graduated because there is a need and I want to help. Um, so 20, let's see, we were in Acton for several more, a couple more years, 2018, we started really being like, okay, we need to move. We can't do the farm at this location, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we found the place and finally moved at the end of 2019. God, where does the time go? Um, and so when we got to the place where we were moving, I, um, like I started looking for new jobs in probably early to mid 20, like spring, summer 2019, I was looking for a new job. Um, the 
And uh, again, so if I could have gotten a job easily in 2016, I basically got offered every job I applied for in 2019. So this is still pre-COVID, guys. Let's remember that. So in the 2016 to 2019 area, the demand on the field has grown. And this is also like, think about this, this is in like the 20. 2009, 2010 to 2018, so less than 10 years, we have gone from how are we going to keep the doors open to how many more people can I hire because I'm drowning in appointments. Like I have to schedule, I'm scheduling routine surgeries two months out, you know, new patient appointments, or, you know, maybe you can get in within the month under good circumstances. Like it's busy, it's busy, and we need more people. And we haven't, we haven't hit COVID yet. Please remember. So 2019, there's plenty of jobs available and it is easy to get a job, um, in the fields. Well, I mean, it should be, um, depending on where you're looking, depending what you're looking for. If you're interested in working in the field, if you're a vet, you should be working in the field. Uh, shouldn't be a big problem. Um, so that's late 2019 and then we get to spring of 2020. Um, in January, February of 2020, um, I made the decision to, for my small and the small animal aspect of where I work, I made the decision to go to ER exclusive. Um, I had been working shifts at the ER, um, closest to our new property uh, a couple times a week, a couple times a month because I knew they needed help um, and because I was available and uh, because we were moving and <laughs> we needed the extra money and uh, I really liked the team there. Like that was a huge thing for me. It's a good fit for me there. Um, I really love the staff. I really, you know, get along well with the other doctors. We have a good dynamic um, and that, that the spring of 2020 for me professionally is a whole other conversation that I have also recorded podcasts about and not posted. Um, someday maybe I will talk about it because I think it could be useful information, especially for new grad vets or people going through a career change. Um, but I'm not going to digress into that right now. In any case, I'm, I've been ER, small animal, like still doing my ambulatory, still on the road, still seeing goats, still seeing cows, horses, you know, mostly goats. <laughs> um, I, I continue to do that. Um, but spring of 2020, I left day practice. So I left general practice, you know, your preventative care, your primary care vet. I don't do that anymore. I only work in emergency. Um, and my, I officially like signed a contract with that, with that emergency facility, uh, just that started at the end of March in 2020. Um, so right when COVID hit. And I think I said this back when I posted, um, I posted a Tales from the Road COVID-19 edition back in like May of 2020. So a little bit over a year ago, I'm pretty sure that I said, I predicted this, um, that we in the ER were going to be annihilated. Um, we were annihilated then, and if possible, it's gotten worse. Um, so I'm going to talk about that kind of for the rest of 
however like I'm going to try to focus on that because this is the this is the huge issue in the field somebody on reddit posted a really good explanation of what the heck has happened um, since March of 2020 in the field so let's kind of break it down um, and talk about it a little bit so COVID hits, I remember the day that Maine hit, uh, sent out an emergency order and a stay-at-home order. I remember it because I was at um, one of my big herds, and we were like, whoa, what the heck's happening? Um, and I remember, I don't think I went into the ER that night, but maybe that weekend, and I went in and I said, we are about to get our asses kicked. We are about to, we're about to die. Um, and... I, because so stay at home order um, veterinary services are considered essential um, by the state of Maine uh, but the, it is and then but the that is very state to state and it's also vague of what is considered essential so anything in the veterinary field and you have to remember this isn't just dogs and cats this is also um, you know livestock and the intersection of human and animal health and uh, like you know, how we interact with animals can have pretty significant human health implications. Um, hence the global pandemic where, you know, we have a novel coronavirus that, you know, I guess there's some kind of investigation going on. Well, of course there is like epidemiologists all over the world are trying to trace back where, like how this virus got into the human population. Um, and like, Whenever there is an interaction of humans and animals, animals have certain diseases, humans have certain diseases, if and when those diseases can be given to each other, it can be a big old problem. Um, not, like, that's why, you know, we test for tuberculosis in our dairy animals, because if humans start to get tuberculosis, again, that's a big problem. And that's why we test for brucellosis in our dairy animals, because if you're drinking raw milk, um, or if you're selling raw milk, uh, you really probably want to know that you're not spreading some kind of contagious infectious disease around um, in the human population. So, uh, yeah, big, big deal. Like vets are and should be on the forefront of this kind of disease, uh, investigation, epidemiology, um, you know, whatever. Like we, we are here. We are the, like the stewards of the intersection between human and animal health. That's what we do. Um, try going and talking to your primary care doctor about rabies. Try going and talking to your veterinary, your, sorry, not your veterinary, <laughs> your primary care doctor about Q fever. Try talking with them about, I was exposed to a uh, caseous lymphadenitis abscess. What does that mean for me? Uh, like these are things that they are not generally experts in, um, in my experience. If you're an MD and you have a good, uh, grasp on animal health issues, hit me up and tell me I'm wrong because in my experience, um, I have had, uh, people contact me X, Y, Z. My doctor told me to talk to my vet. I have had colleagues contact me because they had a client contact them X, Y, Z. I, they're, doctor told them to talk to their vet and they're looking for like consult help with that particular disease case 
Um, so this, this is what we do in any case. Um, back to the ER in March of 2020, I said, we are going to die. We are about to get our asses kicked and we were, and it's only gotten worse. What is happening? So everybody's staying home. Many of the primary care day practices in my area close their doors possibly completely for up to like some of them up to a month, I believe were just closed. Um, some of them went to canceled all preventative care appointments a lot there was a lot of pushing and canceling preventative care elective surgery uh, things that could wait um, it's not essential for your you know eight-year-old's golden retriever that has always been up to date on vaccines uh, it's due for a distemper in March it's okay for that to wait until you know July or something like that. That's not a, that dog is probably going to be fine. Um, so those kinds of things were very, very, very often delayed. Um, the, your spay and neuter, your like all of these things. It's like, we're not doing that right now. It's not an emergency. It's not urgent. It's not life threatening and it can wait. So please wait um, because we're in a global pandemic guys. Remember um, also at this time, then I am not going to comment on this too, too much, but uh, lots of people thought it was a great idea since they were going to be home to adopt a pet. Um, great. Sure. Um, there's been lots of downstream consequences of, for example, adopting a puppy during COVID um, because of, so then you have a puppy that then needs to promptly get on a preventative care plan, which is not available because primary care clinics are closed. Um, that's a puppy who also needs to be, potentially needs to be spayed or neutered. Okay. Um, that is an elective surgery. It is not urgent and, you know, it, it can wait. Um, all of these things, like, so we not only have a decrease in supply, so we have primary care decreasing supply, we have an increase in demand because everybody's like, oh, I'm going to get a pet because I'm home all the time. Great idea. And then we're just all in this holding pattern of everybody staying home. We've got these new pets that are not being socialized, that are not getting vaccinated, that are not getting primary care, that are, are, are just like not even establishing. So that this is another big thing that they do, do not have an established VCPR. I need to go back and listen to the VCPR episode and maybe I'm going to repost it because this has been a huge, huge, huge problem um, in emergency medicine for the last year and a half. Um, it's always been kind of a problem where I work because um, there like the ER that I work at is only nights and weekends. We don't have the staff. We barely have the staff right now to be doing nights and weekends. And we don't certainly don't have the staff to be 24 seven. So, um, when we have sick things at night and they need to have continued care during the day, they need to go to their regular vet. If they don't have a regular vet, what do they do? If you don't have an established VCPR, where do you take your sick pet in the morning when my ER closes? These are things that people do not think about when they have had a cat for 12 years that hasn't seen a vet since it was spayed or neutered. So that, that cat, that cat that, you know, your vet saw in 
you know, what's this, 2021, the cat that saw last saw a vet in 2011 when it was spayed, and now it's 10 years older, and it's having problems because we have problems as we get older. That's the way health works. That's the way biology works. Things break down. Things stop working. We start to have illnesses. We start to have organ failure. That vet that saw your cat 10 years ago is not your vet. I'm sorry, that is not a VCPR. The VCPR is established and maintained by an annual visit. During the onset of the global pandemic, we were all a little bit lax about this too. All of my existing clients and patients for my ambulatory practice, if they needed something and it wasn't urgent, I was like, oh, you know, I can prescribe this. Let's do a, let's, you know do a contact-free visit if I needed to come to the farm. Let's, you know, do email. Let's have a phone call. What can we do while minimizing human-to-human contact? Because that is the goal right now because we are in a pandemic. Um, I saw more emergencies last spring than I normally would because my policy is I don't take emergency calls for non-established clients. Um, I can't. I have to sleep. I have to have other things to do besides go, go, go all the time. And I do go, go, go all the time. I got to sleep. I got to eat. I got to take care of my other businesses. I, you know, like to stay married. Um, and like see my husband once in a while. Um, I'm not a robot. I have a life and I like to live it at least a little bit. Um, so, okay. So ER, the other VCPR, you know, you don't have one. Now you're kind of screwed because no place is open. They need to take care of their existing patients first. We are only so many people in this field. I am only one person when I am the overnight doctor. From about one or two in the morning till eight in the morning, I am the only doctor in that hospital. I sometimes have, I've had as many as 15 patients under my care as far as inpatients. This is not okay. Um, When I get to a point where I can't see things because I am worried about the inpatients in the hospital uh, suffering because I, like, I am only one person and I can get stretched too thin and I don't see the things and that's what happens. Um, Like, I resources, every single resource out there, resources are finite. We can only do what we can do. Um, And... I would say, in general, um, most people have been understanding of this, and most people have been tolerant of this, um, because of the understanding that we are in, like, like, the world has been turned upside down starting about 14 months ago. Um, but, um... Right now, it's it's not getting better. Um, oh God, I can't. I really need some coffee, and I can't get coffee because I'm late, and there's a big line at the drive-through. Hmm. Um. So. Yeah. I lost my train of thought because of coffee. This is. I think this is getting longer than I expected. So, emergency. Um, 
we're, we're all we're all tapped out to the max I have not been in day practice now for over a year so I don't know what it's like there but I can tell you right now in emergency that we are seeing things that should really be seen by a regular day practice should not be seen by emergency this is why in the human ER if you're not actively dying you can have to wait a lot of hours um because we have this thing that we do called triaging where something that is stable and may have a problem and should be seen but is not actively dying and like needs life-saving measures within the next minutes um it's gonna have to wait because we are only like in our hospital we have three doctors in their tops um i apologize if your dog has an ear infection and now you know you've been waiting for four hours and then three other things just can't happen to come through the door there is something that was hit by a car there's something with a ruptured spleen and there is a you know a c-section all at the same time and they're all through the door and now you're gonna have to wait a lot more hours with your ear infection i'm sorry um but i i feel like this spring and i am not the only one because there are um practices that are posting public you know discussion like letters open letters to the public on their website that people are being rude and demanding and um there's people I'm probably gonna make people mad by saying this but our it is your lack of planning and your lack of maintaining a VCPR with your vet um, and having that established relationship if your pet is stable and has a minor problem like a scratch or you know a wound that is not you know actively bleeding out of a major artery or porcupine quills or an ear infection or those kinds of things that yes need medical care um, but they are not an emergency they are not an emergency like you we will do our best to get to you but you will have to wait um there we are we have finite resources and we are drowning so the other thing people getting rude about things um you know we were already strapped before covid now we're completely overwhelmed because we have a backlog of crap that we have to get through because day practices have reduced their hours some day practices in my area are still curbside only which is fine um but uh you know they're they're not it can be less efficient some people don't like curbside i saw a dog that was sick this week um with preventable disease because they didn't see their regular vet and they weren't on flea and tick preventative so they had a tick-borne disease um and they and that person wanted to try to blame it on their vet because they didn't want their dog to go into the hospital for a curbside appointment um I'm making a face right now because I'm trying to be patient about that. Um, the dog would have been fine with a curbside appointment. The uh, So now we're reaching a point where we, as the emergency facility, day practices in my area are used to saying, oh, well, you can go to the ER. Okay, so go to the ER for the thing that's like the bouncy two-year-old lab that vomited once and is completely stable it's gonna have to wait um like those are things that could wait not only to see its regular vet tomorrow um but we'll have to wait at the er and 
your people getting ugly with us about that is not okay. I don't know what people think we're doing in there, but we're not having a tea party. We're not chilling. I regularly work a 12 to 15 hour shift, eating while working, um, maybe stopping to take a bathroom break. I'm reg- when I have overnights, I'm regularly plowing through stuff, doing surgery at two to three in the morning, um, and then, you know, maybe getting to pause for a second after that, maybe. However, having said that, I have more, we have more and more nights where we are nonstop for our entire overnight, you know, weeknight overnight shift is 15 hours. Um, so... Uh, now emergency facilities in my area and across the country, um, are starting to put an active overarching triage policy on things. Um, I'm a little worried. I saw today that one of our local, um, like our, one of our like highly rated critical care facilities that's 24 seven. Uh, is now triaging its ER where if your thing is not actively dying, it has to go somewhere else. Um, And what that is going to end up in is it's going to overflow to my facility, which hasn't, and I say my, I just mean the one I work at. I don't own it. I don't make policies for it, et cetera. I have very little control over that. But we are going to see overflow from that, Um, and it's going to be a problem. Um. Yeah, we're drowning. Um, I'm really tired of telling people that um, that act so surprised. Like the other thing is, like we see the same thing over and over again, where people say, "Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't get an appointment with another vet. They told me it was going to be a month before X, Y, Z." And I was like, "Well, did you take that appointment? No. Okay. Well, now you're going to call tomorrow, and it's going to be later because that appointment that you could have taken would be gone, and you need to establish a relationship with a vet." I see way too many things in the ER that require chronic care. Um, Emergencies are not for chronic problems, which is another big issue. Um, An ear infection that is is not something that just happened and it's an emergency. And, I mean, this is probably a problem in human medicine, too, where, like, people without medical experience or training don't really know what an emergency is. Um, An emergency has to do with a major organ system that is sustaining life. And things to do with the heart and lungs are almost invariably emergencies. Things to do with major trauma are almost invariably emergencies. Um, things to do with like a dog needing a C-section or a dog having a GDV or a dog having a hemoabdomen, a cat having respiratory distress. Like these are emergencies. Things that you can live without are not really emergencies. Um, a cat not being able to pee is an emergency. A goat not being able to pee is an emergency. Uh, there are organ systems that are and, and life processes that are essential for life, and if they are not addressed in short, in like quick notice, then that life will stop. Like, and those are true emergencies. An ear infection is not a true emergency. Uh, you know, a cut paw pad is not a true emergency. These things are annoying, they're inconvenient, they should have medical attention, but they are going to be triaged and have to wait. So that is a problem of, you know, lack of 
you know, understanding of medical care. And like, I don't, I don't expect everyone to understand that and that's fine. But if you are going to be seeking medical care, you are going to have to understand that we under, we know what is going on with your, your dog. If I, you know, if you're very worried about your animal and you come to the emergency hospital and someone looks at it and triages it and then tells you it's fine and it's stable and it can wait, it's fine and it's stable and it can wait. Like you also need to understand that there's anywhere from six to 20 other patients in there, some of whom may be actively trying to die. And when you're having a tantrum in the parking lot about your ear infection, then you're taking away resources from those other animals. Uh, and this is why I mentioned earlier the thing about like me being the only overnight doctor taking care of 12 inpatients. I, I am not able, like, everyone's pet is the most important pet to them, and they are all equally important to me. So I have, the ones that are already under my care and my responsibility, like, I have to care for them because they're already my responsibility, whereas if you are trying to come in and somebody says, we're tapped out, we don't, we can't do that surgery right now, you should seek care elsewhere, and you show up anyway, that makes our things very hard because you are taking away resources from other pets who also need those resources. There is no good answer to this right now. And I don't know, like, if, if I could get everybody who hears this podcast to do one thing, it would be if your pet is not currently established, your pet or your animal is not currently established with a veterinarian for regular primary care as their primary care doctor, please do that right now. Like, you know, if it's nighttime, then do it in the morning. Call around, call your vet, your local vet that your cat saw six years ago and your cat's been healthy since and it hasn't seen a vet and now you're you know like it's it's fine it's healthy it doesn't need to see a doctor until it's not it's fine and it's healthy until it's not and then you need help and your your resource your your avenues to seek help are limited because you haven't maintained or established that relationship and that, like, my ability to help with that is exceedingly limited. I cannot emphasize how limited my ability to help with that is. When I have patients that come in for hospitalization overnight, there, and I look at them and I say it needs to be hospitalized, I always have to talk with the human about does this, because I, I get an intake sheet with a pet at the emergency hospital, and it says primary vet, and I'm, I'm going to have to start taking a tally because far, 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 far too often it says none. And that limits my ability to help that pet because if that pet needs care beyond 7.30 a.m. the next morning, I can't help it anymore and it has no one to help it besides the 24-hour critical care facilities, which are roughly 50 minutes to an hour away from the facility that I work at and also more expensive than the facility I work at. So, and finances are always a consideration. I have to talk with people about money a lot. And 
and I have to talk with people about logistics a lot because there is not an established relationship when a pet comes in and they have a vet that's listed on their thing and it's a local vet and I say great it's very likely your pet's going to need continued hospitalization in the morning please pick it up between 7 and 7 30 a.m and you'll be bringing it to your primary care vet listed on here xyz vet that is the end of that conversation. When there is listed as none on the top of the sheet, I have to have a conversation with that person about where this pet is very likely to need care in the morning. Where is it going to go? Do you want to transfer to 24-hour care right now? Do you uh, like what? What's the plan going to be in the morning? Because the morning is going to come and. I've been doing this for a while, so I can tell you probably whether I think that thing's going to be ready to go home in the morning or not. Um, you know, if it's three in the morning and I'm looking at something in renal failure, I'm not going to fix that in four hours. It's going to need continued hospitalization. Um, my technicians often go above and beyond their call of duty by calling around to day practices in the morning when we have 10 other patients to discharge, calling around and begging practices to take patients that need continued hospitalization. Um, and sometimes we, sometimes we get somebody that says yes, and often we get somebody, you know, often we can't find a place. And not only is that difficult for the animal, because that's what I care about. I care that that animal gets the care it needs, but when my technicians have to spend a half hour on the phone trying to figure out where your pet's going to go, they're spending, that's a half hour they're spending not taking care of other things, not taking care of other pets, not taking care of their other hospital responsibilities that need to be taken care of. Um, I said a whole bunch of stuff now. This is longer than I intended. If you made it through this, like, good job. Props. Um... If you'd if you made it through this and you don't have a your pets all current with a vet, get on that business, please. Um, we not only are we all like actively like we're, we're losing people in the fields. Um, people are leaving because of burnout. People are leaving because of frankly abusive behavior from clients. Uh, people are leaving because you know with, like the pay is not great especially for vets. Um, our debt to income ratio is pretty appalling. Um, and like, you know, we, it's not sustainable. We can't go on like this and something has to change. One of the things that might change is that our prices have to go up because we have to pay our people more to keep them. Uh, and like, everybody's going to be mad at us for that too. Uh, I don't go into the grocery store and expect the people at Hannaford to... Hannaford's a local grocery store. I don't go into the grocery store and expect the grocery store to give me free food because they are in it, they're in their business for the love of food. So I'm not sure why I'm expected to go do my job and do it for free because I love animals. A lot of this is going to sound harsh. I might be ticking some people off, um, but the message, I feel like this message has to get out there. It's getting out there more and more right now. More and more practices are, you know, putting their foot down and protecting their staff and saying they're not going to tolerate abusive client behavior. And, uh, you know, we, something's got to change. Um, 
people probably also aren't going to like what I'm about to say in that having a pet is not a right. Uh, having a pet is an expense. Having a pet is a privilege. Uh, having a pet, you know, isn't necessary for living. Uh, and I, you know, if you take responsibility for another life, another, like an animal life, is it's your owning that pet and it is under your care and it is your responsibility. Uh, you, as that owner and caregiver, have to make decisions related to that animal's health and sometimes related to that animal's life or death. And whether you choose to prioritize something else is your choice, but that is your choice. And you cannot put that choice on to those of us who choose to work in this field and make it our fault uh, or our responsibility that you have made certain choices in the regard to your animals that you are the caregiver for, that you are your responsibility. So that's uh, on that note. Like I said, this went on longer than I thought. I hope if, if one person gets their pets, you know, established with a vet and makes the, everybody's life a little bit easier in response to hearing this podcast, I feel like it's worth it. Um, if you now are mad at me for saying things on this podcast and you don't want to listen, you know, so be it. Um, but I'm going to be posting this and sharing it far and wide uh, because everybody should be knowing what's going on. And the more we can get the word out, the more maybe something hopefully is going to change. So, because it needs to change and we can't, we can't keep doing what we're doing. But that's going to do it for the moment, and I will talk to you guys soon and have your regularly scheduled, uh, probably more goat health-oriented podcast topic coming your way soon. I'll talk to you guys next time.